I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, uh, welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The third round of the Six Nations is upon us and what a big game it's going to be in Cardiff. To discuss that and indeed all the other fixtures, including the Red Roses' fortunes, I have with me the Olympic Sevens and World Cup winning coach Ben Ryan. Hello Ben, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Well, the squad headlines are as follows. England have Ashton out and Atoji making progress. Mako Vinopola ruled out for the rest of the tournament. Wales, Lee Halfpenny's return to training on Dan Bigger is fit if selected. Scotland have Stuart Hogg and Hugh Jones out. And, well, Finn Russell's is a doubt with potential concussion. Ireland, Sexton, Ringrose and Henshaw all expected to be fit. Italy, Benetton Internationals return to defeat the Scarlets, but who will they pick? And France, well, who knows? Fafana and Medard both returning to fitness. Shall we start with England? I think we're bound to do. There is a lot of hype about this fixture, rightly so this time, but whilst I didn't mean to say it is the most difficult game that England could face... I do believe that there is a unique atmosphere in this particular game with these two countries for many, many reasons. And I think that the England players, although they're used to a lot of pressure, I think they'd be unwise not to at least consider the background to this, get it in the system, work it through, then go and play. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's a tantalising fixture for lots of different reasons because I think, you know, you could underestimate Wales as far as that you could say they didn't have haven't had much form in the last two games, but they did beat a tier one nation away from home with ten changes, you know, last weekend. And they are on the run of eleven games and they are playing in Cardiff. Um I don't know what England's plans are, travel plans are to come to to the stadium if they're going to park themselves in Wales for the week or they're going to come in from Penny Hill. But as you know, that that does make a difference, doesn't it? It does, and we found that going from relative tranquility to the mayhem <laughs> that uh, greets you in Cardiff was a bit of a jolt, actually. And whilst you couldn't say for certain that it had this particular or that particular effect, I don't think it was good either way. And I firmly believe it is better mm. to be in situ, mm. at least for the full morning, to walk around, to feel the atmosphere, to experience the barbed comments that will come. <laughs> Didn't take many to get you thoroughly angry. Um, don't want to be too overhyped. But look, you just got to be aware that this is a bigger game than any four Wales because of historical factors, because uh, near neighbour enmity, all, all sorts of reasons. And yeah. it just happens to be 
the Grand Slam decider in the sense that if the loser has any pretensions to winning the title, probably going to go if they lose. Yep. And indeed, the slam's obviously gone. I agree. And and from the other side, I guess, with my coaching hat on, it's fascinating battle between Eddie and Warren because to date, the last two games in the Six Nations, Eddie has planned the team. I mean, the plan has been brilliant. The strategy has been brilliant in the first two games and he's got it absolutely spot on. Warren Gatlin's last Six Nations, last game against England, probably, certainly in the Six Nations. And he's, you know, he's known for preparing his side brilliantly and tactically well for that week going in. So they're I, both going to have a master plan. I just wonder about this. With all the changes, you could say that Wales are on track for what they want to do and they're starting 15, maybe 23, majority of them are rested. Mm. You could also take the view that England without the injury problems that they might have had, have had two very testing games and a battle hardened. Now, who knows which way it will go? Have you any... No, the only thing I would say is that based upon what Warren and and the Welsh management have done, they have been proactive in choosing their team and confident enough knowing that they're going to have the majority of the team rested for quite a long period. So... In, in the back of your head will be that. Are they battle-hardened? He's obviously, Rick thinks that yes, they are, and he wants to protect them, and he's confident that they're competent enough to put together the game plan at the weekend. So for me, I think, you know, he, he, that it hasn't been a curveball. He's made that choice, and um, he is so experienced. You know, he, there aren't many scenarios that he hasn't been through as a coach. So I think Wales are going to the to, to the ground on Saturday full strength and as well prepared as they possibly could be. He certainly won't be using that as any excuse post-match. Well, what England did conspicuously well for me and better than any other side under Eddie Jones was they managed to vary the contact point with players inside, outside, running deeper lines, and then you know grubber kicks and a variety of kicks, which kept defenders guessing, which meant they couldn't gang tackle. It meant they were always conceding at least a couple of yards, you know, on the contact area. That makes everything else much quicker. The breakdowns and England haven't struggled in the way they did last year because they are getting one-on-one tackles, which they are managing to advance from. Now, I'm sure that Sean Edwards will have a plan for this. But as you know, you can only cover so much in defensive plans and where you choose to be strong, there are gaps and potential weaknesses elsewhere. Mm. To me, it's whether England understand what's happening early enough, define where the opportunities are, and then obviously Mm. they've got to execute it. Yeah, Uh, you're you're absolutely right, I think, around um, ball retention and turnovers because they they varied the point of attack. And I think they're all on the same page. They just look as though they're just more clear thinking about everything. Um, so if so, for, for Wales, there's probably three things they're going to have to look at defensively. One, stopping and getting the ball full stop. So set piece, have a have a plan around some 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 primary possession, nicking that at line out, scrum and kick off. Then it's going to be about slowing ruck ball down. And then it's going to be the line speed from the outside to slow that ball down. And then Do you it's think going to... that's what the, I mean? This is one of. Um... Edwards' particular favourites, you know, the slingshot with the outside yeah. centre. Yeah, I, I think I think he, you know, he's got. He, I mean, the, again, the, the richness of the backline kicking options for England is is great now. You know, they've got left and right foot options, but 
I think they'll just try to suffocate and, and shut the, the the time down there. And they will have, I would imagine, as well as that, the fullback in as a, the back sweeper, so to speak, they'll have a secondary sweeper that will be patrolling that area like a nine would do. So they'll have that covered as well. They'll be the best organised defence they've played to date. Well, in my various chats with Sean Edwards, some nothing to do with <laughs> rugby, but the ones about defences in particular, they've always had the tangential message of smack the f*** out of them. <laughs> it is going to be very, very physical. What yeah. England, I think, have done really well is even in close contact when they've been managing to move the ball just before contact, they've they've actually retained possession in situations where previously they've been spilling the ball or they've had it knocked from them, you know, in tackles, and that's been impressive for me. I th- I, and I think that comes down to that they, they all understand a lot more about what they're supposed to be doing in attack. Now, they haven't got a... I still don't think they've got an all-court game, particularly in attack yet. But we, Well, we haven't seen it yet. What we've seen is a very, very good, varied kicking game, some good movement, and when space has become available, they've taken it, and everyone's been on the same page. Without Mako as a ball carrier, that will negate things a little bit. So for me, I know it sounds weird, but I'd make sure probably Jack Nowell was in the team because he does carry hard, and he does... You know, he would be another one of those that would well, give so that point. So would as well. <laughs> yeah, so would Thokinasinga. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, I just don't think Jack's done anything wrong, really. He's a terrific player. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got real riches in the back three, yeah. which, um, you know, the French, bless them, haven't. It, it's, You're not in charge of the French defence, are you? No, I, you know. I'm not guilty on many counts <laughs> with French rugby. No selection uh, of picking all no, centres in the back. I, just, I mean, we could talk about that later, but, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why things aren't going right yeah. in France, but... Yeah, back to the, this game. You know, I think I think the defense. I can't see it being a free fall and a big, you know, high scoring game. And if we look back at last year's game and the and the one two years ago as well, very very physical and attritional games, particularly in contact areas and particularly in those one on one tackles. Well, nearly all of the last ten games, bar the odd aberration, and particularly the Grand Slam one when, you know, Wales gubbed mm. England, the final margin has been within one score. I can't see it being anything other than that. Mm. You know, even as well as England are playing, it's in Cardiff. Wales have not lost for a very long time. They're very well organised. They've been rested and they've got, you know, they've got... Although England have won the last two there. Yeah, going to be a close one, that's for sure. Mm. Well, you mentioned the wing options. Why don't we speak to someone who also knows, a former England winger, Tom May, who is on the line. Hello, Tom. Hi, how are we doing? Okay, Noel, who's done nothing wrong. Or fucking a senior who could do a lot right. Uh, interesting choice, guess, isn't it? it? It is an interesting choice, and I guess how do you how do you approach a game? Do you approach it with a, with an end in mind, or do you approach it from the start? I, I'd be really interested to see how fucking a senior went, but this game's massive, isn't it? Coming this weekend. Yeah, I I think if he does feature, it will be from the bench. I mean, it could go either way, but the. <laughs> The reason for Noel, Ben and I were discussing was because Mako Vunipoli have got one less carrier. Now, they've got a lot of carriers, which is good. But for his size, Noel is used regularly as a carrier and quite effectively. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's just his carrying. Is it? It's his ability to contribute in every facet of, of play, whether it be defence or, or attack or, let's face it, in and around the breakdown. I think he mm. offers a fair bit too. I think what um, Cochrane Singer would bring to the party is... is well, his size. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone anyone fancies. Uh, well, I certainly don't fancy running into that or or, or trying to stop him. And he certainly, um, 
you know, he certainly showed what he was about in that test in in November, didn't he? So I think he's, um, you know, he's he's fairly raw as a talent, but but at some point we need to play guys like this in big games, don't we? You you do. On the other wing, Johnny Mayer, who's now stopped running sideways, <laughs> which he used to do a, a, a lot, is proving to be one of the form players in the world at the moment. What do you think is the difference between what we saw before and the supreme, supremely confident and great finishing we're seeing from him now? Interesting enough, I interviewed him in November and I asked him exactly the same question. And he said, well, I don't think I'm really doing a lot different. Whereas I think a lot of us watching in would, would say that something's happened that, that, that sparked a, I don't know, a, um, a change in the way we see him playing. I think at times... Before, it looked like he didn't quite know where he was running, a bit of a sort of rabbit in the headlights type scenario. But I think now he looks like he really understands what his game is about, the strengths that he brings to the England team and the and, and the real impact that he can bring when he's got his hands on the ball. There's no doubt there is no substitute for, for pace, and we've heard that for, for so long. But with Johnny May, that's definitely the case. Take, take the last fixture as a case in point. Whenever there's space in behind, okay, the French defended it horrendously, but you know, just kick it in behind and he's right on top of any defender. Mate, if you were on the other side then, if you were with the Welsh and, and you were opposite either Johnny or Thokinus Singh or Jack Noel and you know the, the kicking game that England have been playing the last couple of weeks, how would you approach that as, as an opposing winger for Wales at the weekend? I'd definitely try and turn them. If you had those, if you had Cochran Singer and Johnny Mayer, I think the first idea is to run. And I'm not sure if, if you know, if, if Gatlin can, Gatlin and the Welsh team can really try and pressure them, get the ball in behind them, and make them try and play from deep. Then I, then I think they're in with a chance. I, th- I think, you know, if they're if they're kicking the ball poorly, and England have a, have the opportunity to counterattack through Daly and, and whoever's on those wings then I think they'll struggle. I, th- I think if they can apply pressure to those guys and make them turn around and really get on top of them, then I think they'll be in with a shout. But it's, it's an exciting time, I guess, for, for an England fan. You, you're looking at a team that, well, this time last year, we were all sort of scratching our heads and saying, what's happened? Now we're sort of saying, well, this is, this is perfect preparation for a World Cup in a few months' time. Yes, and that's uh, very welcome. I, I, you know, I, I give credit to Eddie Jones in this sense. I have always said he always wanted to pick Tuolangi and, and other players. It is genuinely the first time when I think he's had the vast majority, bar one or two maybe, of the players available to him. Tom, thanks very much for the insight. We'll let you go now, but thank you very much. Thank you. Tom Mary, former England winger. And I, I it, it sounds a bit glib, and I've been making the point, yes, you can have a deep squad... And players can come in and do a job. But that's not the same as the players you actually want who, in aggregate, make it much better. Yeah. Not just OK and surviving. Totally agree. And and when we say, you know, Johnny's not sure why he, you know, he thinks he's playing better this year. Well, foul at 10 for starters and regularly. And and then also Tuolangi in the midfield. Mm. That I mean, he's, he's sucking in defenders whether he's being used or not. And it's people don't realise that, do they? Oh, I mean, like, and, and messing, I don't understand. I never, I never got, when people started thinking about playing Manu at thirteen, right? Play him at twelve. You know, he he can make decisions in that in that position. He can also line break and he can distribute. He, he's not a bad pass of the ball at all. Mm. And we're fouling there at ten. I mean, they're they're as good as anybody in the world in those ten twelves at the moment, and that includes the All Blacks and, and Ireland. So those two are are incredibly important to the way that the game's going to be played in that back line. <laughs>
Time now for a Welsh perspective. We are going to speak to Michael Owen, the former Wales number eight, who's on the line. Hello, Michael. Hi, how's it going? Well, you must be happy at home. Grand Slam time, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's all done and dusted now. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is going to be a difficult game. I, I wonder because I know the debate has been raging in Wales, as it only can over fly halves and scrum halves. Bigger or Anscombe, do you think? I'd be happy with uh, whichever way they go, really. I think they're both uh, both brilliant players and playing well. I think you'd probably go with Dan Bigger, to be honest, off um, the start. Because? Like, with the, with the exp- just because of experience and stuff, and I think that kicking game, like Dan's obviously, he's, he's like superb at that in terms of his ability to kick and regather and his ability in the backfield in defense, defensively as well. So I think that might give him the edge. But then if, if he does start, I think Gareth Anscombe coming off the bench as well is someone who's a very attacking player, who's a real threat to the line, so he can come on and give you something different as well. So I think it's just amazing, brilliant for Wales to have options like that. And I think that factor, like in terms of having a bench as well, is something Wales maybe haven't had as much as they have at the minute. They've got, they've got a bench that can come on and make a real impact. Um, and I think that's quite exciting as well, looking, looking particularly at the big games like, uh, like we won this week. One of the things that pleased England supporters most about the Irish win was the threat that we know is potent from Ireland in the air tactically and chasing and the way that England actually dealt with it. Now, if Wales don't get any joy with that sort of game, how do you think they'll look to pressure the England back three who've been quite quite an important unit in England's attacking armory? Yeah, I think they've been superb. I think, I think for Wales, I think... Like, They've got to try and uh, raise the, the tempo as much, whatever they can. I think the reason everyone's like kicking the ball like so purposefully at the minute as well is to try and find broken field play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think obviously like penalties and quick taps and things like that are, are an area you can do that that from. And I think that's the way to to try and test England. I think the, the defence is superb if you give them a chance to be set up. As you saw against Ireland, they just kept like battering Ireland because they had so much power and made Ireland look like they didn't have any sort of. Any, anything else to offer, really. But I think we'll have got some good variations in the game. But I think that thing about picking the tempo up and finding broker field play, someone like Gareth Davis from Quick Taps, I think that could be a really um, a really good source for Wales as well. But it is going to be a challenge because England, as you say, England's back to be being very good. But I think I think Wales have got the players who, who can challenge them. Hey, Michael, Ben Ryan here. Hope you're well. Um, sounds like you're at a netball game. Yeah, I am. I'm watching my daughter. Do you need me to move or is it okay? No, it's no, great. No, it's great. It's I can hear the whistle. Yeah. I just thought the amount of times <laughs> yeah, yeah. the whistle's it's going, it's netball. Whistle's yeah. That's a good spot then. Yeah, my daughter's <laughs> playing uh, PTC. Awesome, you... actually. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a great game. Yeah. I just defensively, what would you be doing against England to try to stop their kicking game and, and negate what they're doing at the moment? It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think there's quite a lot written this week about the way England are trying to find space and they're using that kicking game, the attacking kicking game, which I think it's like one of those things that's become like an increasing trend in the game. Like mm. I remember watching the Scarlets play last year in Europe and they played against uh, Bath and mm. used it to yeah. tremendous effect. In terms of that, it's difficult because when they're moving the ball wide and then if the defence comes up, they probably put it in behind. What would you um, do as a number eight? Would you would you come in as a, an arrow sweeper or would you just get yourself into the I line? I think I would have been too slow. I would have been too slow to get across <laughs> it then. But um, I think um, I think whereas I've got Gareth Davis, if he plays at nine, which I would expect, he's obviously he's like he's very very quick as well. Mm. If you're going to have someone who's going to sweep, he's perfect. I think Wales' defensive system. I think Wales be foolish. Wales' defensive system is tried and, and tested as well. I think they'd be foolish to try and try and change too much. I think he just as a as a fullback. 
you're just going to have to try and be really on the money and probably be spending a fair bit of time on the video just having a look at what they've been doing as well yeah, um, cool. to try and negate it. But I think like you, I think Wales should change their defensive pattern. I think one of the things Wales are really good at as well is that is that like stripping the ball mm-hmm. um, in the tackle. They've got numerous people who are good at that. So they just got, and that's again, a chance to get broken field play as well. So I think that's what Wales have to try and do is try and turn the tables on England. It's very hard to stop the kicking game. But you just got to be as... Like alert to it as possible, haven't you? And um, and hope you can put a bit of pressure on them in the collisions and stuff. Probably the other thing as well you can do is that breakdown in there. Wales have got that. Like you've got some good breakdown specialists in there as well, like the Navidi and um, Tipperick, yeah. Uh, Tipperick, yeah, both really good at the breakdown. So that's going to be an area where Wales might potentially have an advantage over England as well. Mm. Uh, one of the things that England have uh, been doing well, and it's the first time they've had a lot of them available, but the carrying and the varying of the contact point has created a lot of problems. And, and indeed, if you do that well, I don't care what side you're playing against, it is not easy to defend. And everyone will, will find that if it's done to them. I just wonder, conversely, when Wales are taking the ball forward, who do you expect them to use you know, to, to, to do that? Yeah, I think obviously Ross Moriarty is a, is, like Wales, is a big carry for Wales. I think someone like Josh Navidi has got something a bit extra as well. He's able to sort of beat the man and make a line break just through that forward play. And then uh, they are probably the guys in the forward. I think coming off the bench as well, though, I think like depending on, on the team Wales pick, I think you've potentially got the likes of Rob Evans and Dylan Lewis coming on. We're also both pretty good on the ball and able to, to make a pass, able to, to make an offload and, and make things a bit different. I think that's that's one of the things I think I for Wales, I certainly be thinking about how you're going to utilise the bench. So maybe looking to like open up a game in the last, really open it up in the last 20 minutes, which is when internationals tend to sort of be uh, be one when they're tight. So I think that's where I think Wales could, could do it with those sorts of players coming off the bench maybe to make an impact. Uh, just finally, the game is going to be huge. One of the areas and one of the ways that you can stop uh, sides who carry the ball well is obviously not let him have it in the first place. How important do you think Alan Wynne-Jones will be in this respect? Yeah, he's massive and he's, 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 he's had an absolutely incredible career, hasn't he? And he just continues to to be one of those top performers in that world side. And I think, again, I think the people who we pick next to him will be will be pretty important to try and get them sort of like following his example, if you like. And really, they're the engine room on their Wales, so they're going to have to put a really good shift in to try and stop the ball. But I think for Wales in general, I think if it was like Warren Gatlin, they've been set up quite nicely. They've won their first two games away. They haven't played brilliantly, but they've got pretty much, they haven't had any injuries due in the championship, really. They've got a good group of players to choose from. They've got a bench. It's the, England have been on fire, have been brilliant, and everyone's talking about talking England up. So I think for Wales, it's almost like a cup final where you may be like a little bit the underdogs, um, and it's almost. Are you seriously to... suggesting Wales at yeah, home and the eleven I... win run are underdogs? <laughs> I think this slight is very close, isn't it? I wouldn't <laughs> it's too close to call, but I think England are probably. I think England are slight favourites just in terms of because of the way they played in the championship. But I would, if it was Wales, I think they're going to fancy their chances, and they just they've got to put in like a performance that's like it's one of those times to put in a performance on what you maybe think you can do, which is. One of the amazing things in international sport, isn't it? If you're able yeah. to do that now and again, you have those days where you're, where you're able to do that. And I think that's what I think Wales are capable of in this match. And I think that's what they're required to beat this England team because they're so so powerful and they seem to really know what they're, what they're trying to do. It is very close to call, but you can't fool me with all this pretend underdog <laughs> stuff, Mike. Yeah. Michael, we're going to leave it there. Like, what, what position does your daughter play? My daughter plays uh, goalkeeper. Oh, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs>
There you so go. Goal, de- goal defense, sorry. Goal, oh, defense. goal defense. Yeah, they can move a bit more. They can. I think they can come out of the league, can't they? Mate, go and watch it and give it our best. Thank you very much. Cheers, Former Wales number eight, Michael Owen. Ben, one of the things you uh, feature is the breakdown. Not <laughs> always in favour of how it's done. Yeah. But look, um, Ian McGeekin, Sir Ian McGeekin, saying that Wales stopped teams from scoring because they're doing so disciplined and structured, but it really all depends on whether they compete with England. Everything comes back to those collisions at the contact area. He's right in this sense, isn't he? But added to that... If you run straight one out into two defenders, yeah. you make it much easier. Yeah. If you do what England have been doing well and what the Australian forwards were doing well two, three years ago, it is much more difficult. And to me, how you do that almost dictates, not not solely, but very much what quality ball you'll get and whether you'll win it and win it quickly. Yeah, I, I think you, you said that earlier about tempo and it's that's that's how you win the breakdown battle on a consistent basis is you vary the tempo so that you can get your quick ball, which means your point of difference, your point of attacks are different. The defence isn't sure whether it's really going to push up hard because it's wary of the kicking game now as well with England. So as in all of those things, England are, are changing their point of attack and they're getting there quickly so that they're clearing ball and they're allowing that fast ball off the back foot and then that's creating more fast ball. And so the opportunities are turning up. Last year, it was just a bit more... It was too predictable, really. And some of that might be purely down to the personnel that Manu wasn't around and they weren't playing Farrell at 10. Exactly. You know, it it could have been just as straightforward as that. Because the other technical thing people don't realise is if you get stuck statically, then the very next player who is either guard or one of those, they can come straight in and try and challenge the ball. If you're one-on-one and you go a couple of yards, the guys who are next to them have to retreat before they come in. So it makes it much more difficult. It was very significant to me that Ireland didn't get any choke tackles, that even some of the French players, even people like Bastereau, who is famous for getting, they weren't allowed to. Because yeah. they couldn't. Yeah, no, well, Bustro is not fit, so that's one reason. Why. Well, that's one reason. Yeah, but and he's but, not centre either. But no. But, <laughs> apart from that, uh, yeah, he. I mean, yes, I, I just think England have got their attack shape simple but effective, and they've got the right people in the right places. You know, strange, isn't it, when that works? <laughs> well, people. you're only going to ask Jacques <laughs> Brunel about that, and oh, uh, you know, oh. and you, you'd get well, the answer. We'll come on to talk about that because we 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 we, we do have to. But let's get an Irish perspective on their third round game away in Italy. Pleased to say we can speak to the former Ireland prop, Mike Ross. Hello, Mike. Hi, Brian. How are things? Okay, thank you. Seemingly a relatively easy fixture, but you are away. And just want to ask you this. Are people surprised that what I detect is a certain sort of flatness and not the usual Irish tempo in the first two performances? Yeah, I think we've seemed to miss a bit of bounce in the last, you know, two games. Mm. I suppose England came over with a plan and executed it very well, and I think that probably caught us a little bit flat-footed. And if you look at the game against Scotland, Scotland were extremely aggressive, uh, certainly in their defence in the last, in the first forty minutes, and we struggled a little bit with that. Now we did armrest our way through it. You know, it was a tough opening, but. Hopefully, it'll be a good way to get back on track. What do you think the selectors uh, will do? Ring changes or stick with the strongest team to try and regather momentum? That's a good question. Usually, Joe will 
use this game to have a look at players who might necessarily have a lot of experience in, in the Six Nations. So you, know, you could see, for instance, Andrew Porter coming in at tight head or Jack McGrath coming back at loose head to put his hand up now after having missed out in the first two rounds. I think Ian Henderson was fit at the weekend, so he just come straight back in. And I believe Ty Byrne is fit again, so he could come, come in as well. But at the same time, you have to respect Italy, especially at home. So usually he'll, he'll mix, mix the team up this, but not too much. Do you think you're missing, do you think Ireland at the moment are missing their second rows, the, all the ones that are unavailable and injured at the moment? Do you think that's having a big impact? Well, Deb Toner is a huge leader you know, in set piece, but you know James Ryan hasn't is not a bad person to have as his understudy. They picked Quinn Rue last match, who was one of the strongest scrummagers I ever had behind me. So he, he'll add set piece as well. But I think they might put Ty Byrne in this weekend, maybe Ty Byrne with James Ryan having Henderson on the bench, and then Ian Henderson and James Ryan are quite similar physical specimens. So you could have that that kind of mixture going, but I think with Dev being out, it it does you lose a bit of leadership in the line out. He's his game around the park, especially has improved massively over the last three or four years. So it's hard to underestimate the leadership and the experience that he brings to that role. Uh, Mike, got to leave it there, but uh, thank you once again, as you always do. Uh, tremendous comments, thank you. Difficult thing for Joe Schmidt in this sense. I think they do need a good win. Yeah, they do. I, I think he won't. He, you know, he's got a plan probably for Six Nations, and he will. He will rotate in this for this Italy game. But how many? As many as Wales did? Probably. Yeah. I mean, like you know, there'll be there'll be a few pinch points where he might feel perhaps uh, at nine that um, he needs a little bit more game time. I would imagine that Joey Carberry would start at ten. You know, he might have to mix it up a little bit on what his his initial plan was. But yeah, I think I think they'll they'll rest him. He'll see the bigger picture as well, and it's not just about Six Nations for Ireland. Well, they've only got France thereafter, so there you go. In a huge year for rugby, stay ahead of the game with a sports subscription to the Telegraph. You can get a thirty day free trial, after which it's just one pound a week. We have a squad of rugby legends, including Sir Ian McGeeken, Maggie Alfonsi. Will Greenwood alongside me to help to produce the best coverage around. You'll get unlimited access to all our sports coverage, so make sure you're in the know with The Telegraph. To get your no-obligation 30-day free trial, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash rugby sub. Shortly to speak to Hugo Southwell, the former Scotland fullback, not least to get him to explain why... They keep getting injured all the time. But look, from the French point of view, we touched on this. No one ever thought it was going to work, apart from Bruno, obviously, that playing centres at full-back and wing where they don't usually play, don't particularly want to play necessarily, not going to work. And I, well, I, I seemingly sensible coaches, when they get into this position, the French national team start to go completely crazy. I, I I, don't understand why they think this will work. I don't understand why anyone thinks that Bastereau is either fit or he's fit enough to be a centre. I don't understand why players like Varmahina, even players um, like Poirot and other players who are younger and fitter seem to work very hard when they've got an incentive going forward, but don't seem that bothered when they're trying to retreat I there's such a lot wrong to me and and yet when you see the individual talent that they have 
and they're playing unreconstructed stuff like they were forced to do uh, against England later on, then you can see something is there. Question of organisation. I mean, a basic organisation. How? I mean, how are they going to address this? I, th- I think one of the reasons why there's been this, you know, very public implosion, you know, and we're getting to the point again where you know players are starting to to question it publicly as well. It's it's a it is not just one thing, and it hasn't just started at the beginning of this Six Nations. You know, it's come from the clubs. It's come from the lack of quality conditioning at the clubs. As a result of all of that, we've got we've got a French national side that aren't fit for purpose at the moment. On so I don't I actually don't think whoever was in coaching the team at, in the Six Nations was gonna was gonna do miracles. However, you then look at the selection and you you do look at it and go well, he shouldn't be picking. Peno is a fantastic midfielder. That's where his future is. And, you know, start those pairings with Entomac or play him at 10 and keep Dupont at nine. And you'll start to get a flow in the game. One thing that you look at and you look at the top 14 and you compare it with the premiership on the wings, the top 14 is just full of Fijians. Every every club's got one. I look at the the, the premiership last weekend and you've got Gabriel Libertoy, Nathan Earl, Thokonasinga, Rocco, Thorley, Banahan, Bassett, Kilbriggy, Streckel, Lewinton, Vandell. You know, out of that, the quality players. And if, if England, went down with a bug tomorrow night there's three or four there off that list that you know would do a job at the weekend France don't have that in those positions and then so that was really shown shown up last week but then the longer term plan it is that Bernard Laporte has said that there's got to be more French qualified playing in the top top 14 and that's now starting to that will start to affect the national squad in the next couple of years. They have to get these relationships right at the clubs so that they actually can affect their conditioning because it's a it's a major stumbling. Do point. they have the power to do that? They've got them. They've got. I mean, one of the issues is the top fourteen got more money than the FFR. So you know, they're, they're, you know, and 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 actually, when you look at that, you think make sure that, that you know the prem that soon's going to be the case as well with the with the money that's coming into the premiership so um they need to make sure that they are if you keep the the relationships that they've got that are really good strong yes it is possible because ultimately the clubs want a national side that's doing really well but the chance of them getting getting this sorted in the next 12 months is slim the positives are 2023 world cup in paris and 2024 olympics in paris with this young group of players that will be maturing hopefully I think it did need something like this to happen to French rugby. I, I know we talk about it over the last few years where things have, the, the wheels have fallen off, but this is p- pretty significant now and consistent. Mm. And that last Six Nations game against Italy in Rome, if they don't win that one, then I, it actually might not be the worst thing that could happen to French rugby mm. in the long term. Well, Scotland should or certainly would have been travelling to Paris with a lot of confidence to discuss how much they've got left when the injuries all add up. Why don't we speak to Hugo Southwell, the former Scotland fullback who's there. Hello, Hugo. Hi, Brian. You all right? Yes. Uh, we're Bradbury, Fife, Johnson, Ferguson, all added to the squad because of injuries. Um, we're now hearing, well, Hogg's definitely out. Uh, Jones out, potentially. We're very worrying. Finn Russell as well. What is going on? made a cardboard or what was going on? <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, it feels like that at the moment. I think there's been uh, there's been some 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 pretty bad injuries and obviously some unfortunate ones as well. And uh, I think the Finn Russell one, it, it seems like Finn Russell might be okay. I think there was chat today that he uh, 
he didn't have any symptoms, um, you know, when he when he did some light training. So I think they'll, they'll they'll wrap him in cotton wool, and you know, you want to go to Paris with with, you, with your best ten on the park. You know, you're going to to win it, hopefully win a game. That before that result last weekend, let's be honest, Scotland both both results well. Scotland would have expected to go to Paris, even though they haven't won in 20 years, and get a result. It, it, it's probably changed a bit now because the French, you know, when they've got their backs against the wall, we all know they can produce performance, and they're so inconsistent at the moment. Who knows? They might produce that performance against Scotland, but Scotland need Finn Russell playing. I mean, there's no secret to the fact that behind Finn Russell, uh, they don't quite have the, the strength and depth um, as they do in a lot of other positions. So, so they need Finn to play. Well, you might get a French side that that plays well. I can't. The problem is, I just can't see them playing well for 80 minutes, but not least because some of them aren't fit enough to play for 80 minutes. But uh, this question, they are big, they are strong. And if anything, let um, Scotland down in the last game, bar people not scoring when they should have scored. It was the fact that I think in the second half, the Irish actually got to grips with them up front and actually shut them out of the game. And I just wonder if Scotland, you're confident that that, that Scotland can hold a, you know, a very big French pack and, and indeed some of the very big French backs. Well, one thing they will do is they'll move the French around. Um, that's that's what Scotland have been good at over the last uh, last few years. I agree with you. I mean, in Scotland last week, they let themselves down, to be honest. They'll, they'll admit it themselves. There was, Yes, defensively, Ireland were good. But Ireland, for all their excellence over the last two years, were pretty limited in that game last week. I was there at Murrayfield and it was really disappointing. It felt like a game that was sort of there there for the taking. And that was really disappointing. And I'm sure Scotland will come out. Hopefully they're different. They made so many mistakes in that second half. Every time you thought that Scotland were getting back into the game, from, from a relatively positive, despite the tries that were leaked in the first half, a relatively positive first half, but the second half was really poor. I don't think they went through two one, fa- beyond one, two phases. Once they went to three phases, once in the half, which is quite astonishing, really. In- yeah, and, and they were given a loads of opportunities. You know, they, they they got into the island sort of half on. I would say probably they probably had about they had enough possession, put it that way, to take their chances. And unfortunately, they got to two phases, as you say, most of the time, and then coughed up the ball or conceded a penalty. And I wouldn't have said that was all of the island defence. I think there was a lot of uh, unforced errors as well. And that's what they've got to cut out. If you go to France, you go away from home, the things you need to get right, your discipline, your error count, and you have to play territory. Uh, and that's what Scotland didn't do uh, very well against Ireland in that second half, so they'll have to get it right. I'm just looking at, um, you're seeing Finn, if he, do, if he doesn't make it um, to selection and you've got a youngster like Adam Hastings, do you think he's ready for the step up to international rugby? Uh, it's a difficult one because when he's when he played uh, in the autumn, obviously down in Cardiff, uh, he he didn't uh, have his. I mean, he's, he had he had a great summer tour last year, but obviously the standard of teams, um, no disrespect to who Argentina picked and who uh, America and Canada picked, but you know the, the standard of teams wasn't quite uh, at the level um, that he faced down in Cardiff, and, and he struggled down in Cardiff to be honest. But he has had for the for the for the majority of the season a very good season with Glasgow. And, you know, he, he's definitely got the potential, but he is, he is raw at this level. Uh, and you've got, if you're going to pick him in a game like this, uh, it, it could go one of two ways. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be overly confident by picking him with his last away performance, which is in Cardiff at uh, international level. You know, you've got Peter Horn there as well. You could obviously um, put him in at 10. He's played at 10 against England in the Six Nations, uh, I think uh, a couple of years ago. So he's definitely a guy with experience that could do a job, but... I have to say that it is a position that if Finn Russell is not playing, 
it's a different Scotland team. Well, let's just assume that he is playing. Uh, if so, how confident are you that Scotland can win? I mean, it'll be first for quite a long time there. Well, it's got to happen sooner rather than later. I think of, of, of all the years that you know you can go to you can go to France and you say, oh, we, we're confident we can win. But I genuinely feel this team is confident they can go and win in France. Whoever's playing, but yes, Finn Russell. I hope plays because that will give uh, Scotland a much better chance of winning the game. And, and you can't deny that. I think Danny Wilson's come out today and said, whoever plays, we're confident of winning. But that's just, you know, your coach coming out and backing the, the guys underneath. He would be a huge loss. But I do believe they are in a different mental space than they were and have been over the last uh, five years. They've developed very encouragingly over the last three years. Their attacking games come on. Um, defensively, they need to perform for 80 minutes, which they haven't done uh, consistently but if they can get that right I think the biggest thing for me is at the moment I was listening to you earlier speaking about France and there is a there is a deep-rooted problem there's no doubt about that but there's also let's not forget they, they put in a 40 minutes against Wales it was probably the best rugby that we've seen France play in the last three or four years and then they went to, went to pot and their mental fragility came through um, and I think that's where you know the likes of the certain players like uh, Johan Uge and uh, Morgan Parra who are consistently good for their clubs, look as if they became disinterested. And, and that, for me, is the most disappointing thing. Senior players, uh, the young guys, you know, Penno's probably been one of their best players playing out of position. But guys like, you know, Vahamina, experienced guys playing really poorly. I think in France, if you get on, having played there myself, I played for Stade Francais there five or six times. If you start badly in a game as a home team, the crowd are on you within 10 minutes. It's probably the most fickle crowd in world rugby. Um, both for club and for, for internationals. If, if, if Scotland start well in Paris, which obviously Wales didn't, but then came back into the game, the crowd will turn on them. Um, and, 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 and the players then feel it a lot more than necessarily other nations who find it easier to come back in certain games. So that's a huge moment. First 10 minutes is so crucial for Scotland. And I know that feeling from the other side, it's great. It's absolutely brilliant. Look, um, Scotland, they need to find that. They also need no more injuries, bearing in mind they've only got Wales and, and England to, to, to come. So uh, we, we will see. I, I'm expecting a Scotland victory. Thank you very much, Hugo. Good to speak to you again, mate. Thanks, Brian. Hugo Southwell, former Scotland fullback. Look, Ben, you help out with the French. What, what if they came to you and asked you to coach them? Would you? <laughs> if a French is not at the fluent level, even with the twice a week at the embassy learning French. Well, look, no, no, you, no. Look, you, look, it seems to me that Bernardo just said "jouer, jouer, jouer." <laughs> well, that that's look. That I, I guess that's half the problem. You know, it I is. think you look at <laughs> you know when Vilpra started to bring in a different way of playing a long time ago. He had a very much an all-court game, but within that was constraints and and formula and you know Ugo Moller would would say the same in Toulouse they they they're probably a bit too much gray in some of the stuff they do you don't want to take away that play with your heads up but at the moment but unfortunately, New Zealand are a very structured side yeah but when the opportunity is presented then they can do whatever in broken field play it just happens to be that it it turns out that way and they're able to recognise it and do that. But, you know, they move it just like they kick as much as everyone else. They, they just kick more effectively. Their same number of plan moves from set pieces are there. Yeah. It's just that when it breaks down, they give not the illusion, it's the reality of being able to play off the cuff. You, well, that's also because they also have the, the players in the right position to, to make yes. the most of that. Yes. Uh, um, with the French... 
they're you know they do the, the way that the kids are coached from a young age they it is about space and if space shuts in front of you you pass the ball and if it doesn't you keep running it's very much like the argentinians because the other thing ben is that in the final 25 minutes against england albeit that england were disrupted because they made so many substitutions what you saw were significant line breaks you look at the stats they're mm. all there but because players weren't in their habitual positions, there were no support runners who would no. normally just know that it was on. Yeah. They were late. And some of that is some of that is the conditioning. So, you know, there might be an edge that over the last two weeks they've actually got a bit of conditioning from playing, actually playing international rugby. They might have got a little bit of fitter on the hoof. Um but they stop buster eating, that'll do what wouldn't it? <laughs> they just got well, they've just got too much grey area, unfortunately, in their frameworks. But I mean, I know we we, we know we the, the game of everyone's focus probably is, is Wales versus England at the weekend. It is fascinating watching what the French are going to do next because, because Hugo's right in Paris. Yep. You suddenly could have the whole crowd on their back and they could be three or four red cards down. You know, yep. that's the, At the same time, they could be getting in their pomp. And with players like Dupont and, and Entomac, they're young, but they are gloriously talented. Mm. And if they do get their backs up, you never know. Time to speak about women's rugby in particular, the Red Roses campaign in their Six Nations. I believe we have... Katie Daly McLean on the line. Hello, Katie. Hey, Brian, how are you? Two out of two so far. Been very good for you so far. How confident are you of that continuing? Yeah, I mean, like you say, two from two, obviously going away to Ireland, on into Dublin, and then obviously backing that result up at home to France were two really, really big games for us. But as we know, with the beauty of Six Nations, obviously we've got to go into Cardiff on Sunday and then in the kind of back end running in with Italy and Scotland. So I think just that kind of old cliche is it about taking every game as it comes and making sure we prep us thoroughly for each game. It is, but you've got the big one out of the way, which is the French. The Irish, slightly less so because for some reason their form has, has dipped from what it was. But the games to come, you should win those. You should win them well. How do you go about setting your own standards for these games? Because that's what it's about, isn't it? I mean, the first of all is for us. It's about winning those games. I think yes, we can we can touch on other other scores and, and what we think is going to happen. But ultimately, as we know, we've got to turn up. I think yeah, the, the thing about standards is really important. We've done a lot of work on kind of the team we want to be and how we want to play. And actually, if we can look after our basics and and make sure we're accurate in, in our set piece, then that gives us very good foundation to go off and kind of deliver against our game plan. Katie, your own form is stellar. Your contributions, club and country level, continue to be, you know, of the highest standard. What motivates you now? How long can you go on? Do you think? <laughs> Million dollar question. I think for me, the biggest thing that I'm really enjoying my rugby. It's, it's obviously great to be in form, and but I think everybody knows who's played elite sport. It, it won't last forever. And it's kind of about, I suppose, choosing your time wisely. We play a very physical sport and obviously I would like love to go out on a high. But I think at the moment I'm loving the game. I'm loving playing with this new squad. There's a lot of use in there that's given me kind of a, a bit of a, a fresh lift as well. And I think as long as I'm enjoying, enjoying it and Mids is picking me, then I'll be sticking around. So you've got Rocky Clark's record in your sights. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'd go that far. Uh, that's, a, that's a while away. But yeah, I'm certainly at the moment, there's, there's no plans in the short term to, to think about retirement and, unless maybe Simon taxes me on the shoulder. <laughs> and then I need to rethink that. Katie, great to speak to you. Best of luck uh, at the weekend and for the rest of the Six Nations fixtures. Cheers, Brian. Thank you. Katie Daly-McLean, the Red Roses fly half and a tremendous player.
Yeah, she's cracker, isn't she? It's a bit like the senior side with the men's as well. That behind her there is there's a big gap at ten. So um, I'm sure Simon will be hoping that that she doesn't hang up her boots anytime soon. And based upon how she, well she played in Doncaster, I think there's no likelihood of that happening. Final thoughts for the weekend. Um... I have no idea what will happen in France. I mean, I, 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 mean, I expect Scotland to win, but that is based on a whole number of assumptions, none of which are founded in fact, and all of which involve the French. So that's about all I can say. Yeah, we've got to wait for their selection, haven't we? Well, that as well, yes. Yeah, that, that'll be a, a big pointer. You know, if suddenly everyone changes or they actually start putting people in the right slots, then you know, it could be better. Yeah, that's a fascinating game. Spoken to Conor O'Shea, look, the problem... Connor's got is whilst he's trying to make strides and making some, everyone else is as well, and that's the problem. Yeah, the you know number one, two, and three problem for Italy is depth of player. hasn't got it. hasn't got the quality of player. So you know you can only try to play the game in a number of you know you need possession, and that requires a number of things, which is the quality of forwards that he hasn't got, and one or two injuries for him, and everything, you know, is is a lot harder. So um, look, they have got this this final game in Rome that they're going to get excited about now against France because, that you know, that's looking like a yeah, potential absolutely. winnable game for them now. But it's been a tough season for them. And down in Cardiff, it's foolish to make predictions, which is why I'm asking you to do it. <laughs> it's, it, is in, it is incredibly tough because you can say form goes out the window, but they've actually both got form. And Wales have not got the bonus point wins, but they've been winning games. They're at home and they've got a very experienced side. England are playing as well as, well, certainly as well as Eddie's gotten to play since he's been around. If England keep Farrell on the field for 80 minutes, I think they'll just about edge it. If he comes off for injury at any other point, I think Wales will... Or gets yellow carded. Or gets yellow carded. Wales Wales will take it. But two very, very well-balanced, outstanding sides at the moment. Well, let's hope. From an English point of view, let's hope. Uh, If you're Welsh and listening, um, (laughs) I wish you all the luck that you wish, England. That's all I can say. You've been listening to the Brian Moore Full Contact podcast with The Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host Ben Ryan and producer Abby Patterson. Do subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't already. But for now, it's goodbye. Goodbye.